Good morning again, everybody. Uh, Bill, I appreciate the, uh, or, or I should say Lynn, that was her idea, I guess. I uh, appreciate the song choices. It's always fun to uh, uh, hear those great hymns, one of our favorites. As I was listening to uh, the last one, you're in Noah's favorite as well, um, just can't help but be taken back sometimes, you know, when you hear certain songs. Every time I hear that song, I think about a, a man named Luke Wright. Uh, Luke was at the church that I grew up at, Champion Baptist Church out in the country, uh, and he would always sing the, the echo parts during the, the chorus, and he had a real deep bass voice. Um, I don't know if I ever talked to the guy uh, other than hearing his voice sing those words. He, he would wear, I believe, like a three-piece suit to church every Sunday with the vest and the tie and the suit. It was usually uh, gray or, or something lighter colored, even white sometimes, and he had these ostrich skin boots that he would always wear uh, underneath that suit. And I just remember... I don't know, just people stick out to you, right? You know, we have those memories uh, with the people that we went to church with, and, and this church is, is no different. Uh, I could tell you from uh, our staff's perspective, uh, as Amy mentioned in her prayer, we are grateful to uh, work alongside you, uh, to serve you in the way that God has called us to, and to watch you serve uh, our community, to watch the way that you serve us. We are grateful uh, to be a part of this community. This morning, we're going to start a new series, but before we do that, let me ask you a quick question, and the question is this, have you ever wanted to be invisible? Remember those commercials from Southwest that came out a few years ago uh, where someone would do something really foolish, uh, and then there'd be a little ding, and they'd say, you just want to get away, like you just want to disappear in this moment, and then they would try to sell you an airplane ticket. Have you ever wanted to feel invisible? It's happened a few times in my life, as it probably has yours. I can remember as a, as a kid, it seems like that around the teenage years is maybe when we want that the most. Uh, I remember as a, a young man in junior high uh, walking with my lunch tray to go put it in the, put it in the trash and, and, and hand the thing off uh, to the lady who was washing the dishes. Uh, and the popular kid in, in school who was a couple years older than me backed into me as I was walking by and my entire lunch, what was left of it, dumped onto his head. And of course, it was all my fault, even though he backed into me. Uh, and I remember getting the looks from, you know, that the table, you know, the table in the school lunchroom, you know what I'm talking about. Getting looks from that table, of, oh, you're going to get it later. And, uh, and I just remember wanting to disappear in that moment. The other moment that immediately came to mind as I was thinking about those times when we want to disappear happened much more recently. It happened about five years ago, to be exact. Uh, when on this very stage, for the first time in my entire pastoral career, I left my flying zip during a sermon. Uh, and I had to fix that right in the middle of it. There was a second service, so you guys didn't get to see that. Thank goodness for you. Am I right? Um, but I definitely wanted to be invisible uh, in that moment. Maybe you have wanted to feel invisible before as well. But... Do we really want to be invisible? Would we really, really, really want to just disappear? There was a prank made popular and that went viral on the internet probably within the last year, year and a half, uh, where these people would cover kids with a blanket, act like they were doing a magic trick, uh, and then pull the blanket off. I, I, got, I, I saw it performed on adults, too. Uh, and then the blanket would be pulled off, and everybody in the room was in on the joke, and they would act like that person was invisible. I don't know if you've seen that prank before. We played it on Corbin. He did not like it. At first, he thought it was funny that nobody could see him, uh, but then when we couldn't fix it, you know, we put the blanket back on, and he wouldn't reappear. Um, he got really upset really quickly, and we had to, to abandon uh, the trick because it was, it was bothering him emotionally. If you've ever watched any of those videos online, that's usually what happens. Uh, there goes, you know, especially in the mind of a kid, there is this wonder that something like that could actually happen that immediately develops into fear that they might not ever be seen again. It's almost as if there's something inherent 
or primal within them that needs to be seen, that needs to be noticed. You can see that in other ways in kids, certainly. To be seen and heard is a basic human need, isn't it? To know that we are noticed, to know that people see us when we're in a room, when we're around, when we're in their lives, to know that people hear us when we have an opinion, a word to say. To be seen and heard is a basic human need. And we're going to look at this idea today, but we're also going to look at it over the next several weeks as we open up this series called Heroines. Women in biblical days knew what it meant to be invisible and unheard. Many of them, most of them that we, have, that we encounter in Scripture are uh, coming to us in a culture that uh, believed that they, like children in the same culture, needed to be pushed aside, uh, ignored, and, and in many ways treated as property. Yet, without the women that we have in Scripture, many of the Scripture's most important stories would not have been told, including probably the most important of all the stories, which is the coming of Jesus Christ through the Virgin Mary. Women are integral to the stories of Scripture. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to look at six different stories about the important, or or six different important women throughout Scripture. And we're going to start today by looking at one that you might not think we would start with, um, but we're going to look at the woman named Hagar in the book of Genesis, chapter 16, verses 7 through 14. If you brought your Bible with you, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up there. That's Genesis 16, 7 through 14. If you didn't bring your scripture with you, it will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. What is going on in this passage, give you a little context for Genesis 16. God has promised Abram, Abraham, but he's called Abram right now, an heir that would be the first of a multitude of descendants, as numerous as the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. As a matter of fact, more numerous than either one of those. An innumerable amount of descendants would come through an heir that God had promised to Abram. But Abram and his wife Sarah were getting older, and the heir was not coming. They had not yet had the child that they believe had been promised to them. And so they began to go other directions. Uh, Abram at one point asked if one of his servants can be the descendant. That God, you know, that doesn't work out. And so then Hagar comes, or not, excuse me, Sarah comes up with a great idea. And she approaches Abram and she says, what if you took my Egyptian maidservant Hagar, you impregnated her, and she became the one to bear our descendant. She became the one to be the, the, the woman uh, through which God would fulfill the promise that he gave to you. So Abram obliges. He does indeed impregnate the Egyptian servant Hagar. And if it feels wrong to you, know that A, it was wrong. Okay? Uh, When we read stories like this that fly in the face of of not only what the New Testament teaches about morality, uh, but also goes against kind of cultural and societal norms uh, in our world, we look at this and we would say, how in the world would Abram make this decision? He is supposed to be Father Abraham one of the heroes of the Old Testament. Why in the world is he allowing his wife to talk him into this? He seems to oblige fairly quickly. It didn't take much convincing. He just goes along with the plan. Why in the world is he doing this? And why in the world is Sarah even suggesting it in the first place? It flies in the face of everything that we would say we believe in in the 21st century church. We would never suggest anything like that, and we would shudder if anyone in our churches suggested anything like this to someone who was in a similar situation. 
But in this society, it was fairly normal. You can look at, you can find records, historical records of documents outside of biblical testimony of different codes that were established where if a man was unable, he and his wife unable to have a child, especially a male child, that would allow his name to be carried on, that he was allowed to bring in a servant or someone else in order to help out with that situation. Still, that doesn't make it right. Uh, But this is one of the places in the Old Testament where we don't see a lot of commentary uh, on the immorality of this choice, perhaps because it was so ubiquitous. Everybody uh, was involved in this kind of behavior, especially those with power and influence in these days in the Old Testament. And so you you just kind of got to read understanding that this is the world in which the text was delivered. It also tells us a little bit about how women were viewed in that day, especially servant women. Uh, Sarah felt as if she wasn't doing her job because she was unable to bear a child. And so she introduces her servant into the mix who is treated like a piece of property or someone that Abram could loan out in order to get the job done. So that is, uh, again, an ugly situation. We know from God's response, uh, you know, eventually that God says no Uh, this child that Hagar will have is not the chosen child. There's going to be another one. Uh, We know that this is not what God had in mind, what God had planned. So this is not according to God's plan. God is not choosing this or making this happen. This is Sarah and Abram introducing their own wit into the mix and things going badly because of it. Predictable uh, Predictable complications arise. Hagar becomes pregnant. She begins to look on Sarah with contempt. We're told in Genesis 16. What exactly does that mean? Perhaps it means that she views herself as better than Sarah because she was able to bear the promised child. Or maybe she didn't like being put in that position, uh, having to bear her master's child. So she's looking on Sarah who put her in that position with contempt. Either way, she's not happy with Sarah. Sarah, seeing this, goes and takes uh, her concerns to Abram and says, this is all your fault. Anyway, it's between you and God. You should not have allowed this to happen. Abram, being the wonderful stand-up character that he is in Scripture, dodges all responsibility and says, why don't you and Hagar just figure it out, Sarah? It's between you guys. Uh, And so Sarah begins to treat Hagar harshly, the Scripture tells us, and Hagar runs away. And that's where we pick up in the Scripture that we're about to read in Genesis 16, chapter 7. Hagar flees into the wilderness. What I want you to see this morning, is how God sees what everybody, who everybody, someone that everybody else in the story seems to deem as unimportant, or important only so far as she can be used to benefit those around her. Hagar, without her ability to bear a child, would have been invisible in this story. She would have been unseen, and she's only seen because she can be used. But even then, she is still treated as if she is less than human. And what we see in this scripture is that God sees her. God sees this woman outside of the chosen people, an Egyptian. God sees this woman in distress and goes to her. And we can take that same truth and understand it and apply it to our day today and realize that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what, you, what you're going through or what you feel like, God sees you. You are not invisible God sees you. Let's pray one more time before we open up scripture. Father, once again, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this church. God, we thank you for the people that we get to worship alongside of. God, we thank you for the the wonderful words and truths of the hymns that we sang. 
God, we thank you for being a God who has such a huge story to tell and has for some reason considered us worthy to be a part of it. God, as you continue to tell your story through your word today, Lord, I pray that you would remove distraction from us. God, that you would help us to focus on what it is you want to communicate to each one of us this morning. God, may your word be spoken in such a way that, it, that your spirit does a work of transformation. God, that you leave us transformed after encountering you through your spirit, through prayer, and through worship. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 through 14. Hagar had just fled from Sarah's harsh treatment. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her, her being Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roai. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. The angel of the Lord finds Hagar near a spring of water on the way to Shur. This is where we pick up this story. After she had fled from the harsh treatment of Sarah, Abram's wife. The angel of the Lord is an interesting character that we found throughout the pages of the Old Testament, especially in the book of Genesis. Seems to be a particular type of being or creature that shows up at very important moments when God's will need to be needs to be communicated. There is a lot of conjecture uh, amongst biblical scholars <clears throat> over who exactly this angel of the Lord is. Is it actually the presence of God himself? Many people believe it to be a, a, like a pre-New Testament manifestation of Jesus on earth. Uh, others believe it is simply just a, 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 an angel with a key designation or a key job of being, of being in, in, in the right place at the right time to communicate these big messages. Whatever it is, the angel of the Lord doesn't just show up uh, haphazardly throughout Scripture. Uh, he shows up, at, like I said, at different times that are very meaningful and poignant. Uh, he shows up uh, to communicate uh, things happening in the judges about Samson. He shows up to Samson's parents and tells them about what's going to happen. Um, he shows up uh, to other people as well throughout Scripture. shows up and, and talks uh, with um, Abraham later before Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Uh, there is uh, uh, many places that this angel of the Lord shows up, and all of them seem to be very important. So you might ask the question, why is he showing up here to talk to a non-Jewish servant woman in the wilderness running away from a problem. We'll get to that in a minute. Hagar was likely heading home. 
on her way to shore. That's probably back towards Egypt where she had come from, probably running away from the harsh environment to reunite with people that she knew. Again, maybe you've been in that situation where you, you encounter a, a new community, a new job, a new school, and, and things go badly on the first few days. <clears throat> you just want to get away and go back to where people know your <coughs> excuse me, to where people know your name, to where people know the stories that you know, know the jokes that you know, the people that you have the inside jokes with, people that you don't have to justify your existence, but you could just go and be and be comfortable with them. And so she's wanting to go home to get away from this harsh environment. Stop for a moment, if you haven't before, as you read through the scripture and consider the way that the people of God were treating Hagar in this story. Again, it is hard to over-exaggerate the place of Abram, who becomes Abraham, in the story of the Old Testament. You sang songs probably when you were in vacation Bible school as a young person about Father Abraham, who had many sons, and I'm one of them, and so are you. Uh, he was the, uh, the founder, essentially, of the Jewish faith. The first individual that God had a one-on-one, -on -one, like, I'm going to choose you as a people. God talks to the other people before him, but it is when he calls Abraham that he sets aside a particular family and moves forward from that point. And so Abraham is definitely a hero of the Old Testament. And Sarah is his wife who gives birth to, uh, we're going to see later, Isaac in a super old age in a miraculous story. And it is easy to lift them up on this pedestal because of that. But in this story, we get to see the way these two heroes of the Old Testament treat another human being. As if she is nothing more than a vessel for their child. Something to be used because of their own lack of faith that God to use them, for God to use them the way that God promised them that they would. And so in this situation, we see them treating her as a thing, not a person. The people of God treating her as a thing, not a person. Invisible, in a way. When we feel unseen, we might begin, begin to question why we should even be here in the first place. Maybe you felt that way in a job. Maybe you felt that way in a family or in a romantic relationship, where if you feel unseen, you think, why am I even in this thing to begin with? I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm more appreciated. I'm going to leave this place so that I don't have to deal with this any longer. When we feel unseen, we might begin to question why we're even here in the first place. Hagar definitely seems to be in that situation. And the angel of the Lord approaches her to comfort her and to be with her and to give her a word of advice it's a difficult word of advice, but it also comes with an amazing promise. He commands her to go back and submit to her mistress, to submit to Sarah who is treating her harshly. This means that she's going to go back and God is, the angel of the Lord is not telling her that things are going to get easier. He's just telling her to go back and submit. Things aren't going to get easier, but you need to go back. And she is obedient to this command and does go back. God promises her one, a son. That was important in this day for any woman. To be able to bear a son, especially for her master, this was a great promise that she could receive. But the second part of the promise, don't miss the, the countercultural uh, way that this should come across to this age, uh, to this setting, to the people who are reading this and, and hearing this story for the first time in Abraham's day. God promises her, Egyptian maidservant Hagar, he promises her a multitude of descendants. 
uh, an inheritance of people who would come after her through her son Ishmael that were so numerous that no one could count them. Does that sound familiar? God is willing to give this Egyptian maidservant woman the same promise, basically, that he gave to Abraham himself. You will be the mother of a large group of people so large that no one can count them. And he gives her this promise. This Egyptian woman receives a very similar promise to Father Abraham. The only difference, perhaps, being that the specifics about Ishmael about how he would live a violent life, about how he would live a life in the wilderness. And we see from places in Scripture that the Ishmaelites didn't certainly live this way. Hagar is obedient to God's call, despite the difficulty it will cause for her, and she returns. Compare that, again, to the people of God in this story, to Abram's and Sarah's seeming lack of faith and trying to take matters into their own hands, introduce their own intellect and choices to try to fix that God hadn't yet fulfilled. And in this story, we see the God who sees and hears those who are invisible and unheard. He says this son, you're going to name him Ishmael. Ishmael, what is that word? It means God hears. God will hear is what it means in Hebrew. And so we're taking this woman who feels unheard, who feels all alone, and we're giving her a son. God is giving her a son who is named God will hear. God does hear you. God will hear you. You will be given this life. And then Hagar responds by naming God. In my translation, the ESV, it went ahead and translated it into English for me. But the Hebrew is El Roi, which is the God who sees. Or the God who will see. Or the God of seeing. Something along those lines. Easiest to understand in our vernacular is the God who sees. And, I, and again, don't miss this. Go do a Bible study sometime and look through the Old Testament for people who assigned names to God. Guess what? There's a big fat zero. There's nobody besides this woman, Hagar, who actually assigns a name to God. There are many of them that give him, that, that, that use certain words to define him, but to actually name God doesn't happen in Scripture other than right here in Genesis 16, at least in the Old Testament, where Hagar gives God this name of the God who sees. Again, there are many qualifications or, or uh, like descriptions of God that we have turned into names. But this idea of actually giving him a name, the God who sees, is unique to Hagar. And even if we take those other descriptions of God, all of these happen after Hagar. And so even if you take those descriptions as someone naming God, she is the first person in Scripture to actually name God. And she gives him the name uh, the God who sees. This might be because she didn't know who this God of Abraham was. Usually at this point he's referred to by the patriarchs, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now she is not understanding who this God is, not having a, a really good relationship with Abraham and Sarah, probably doesn't want to call him the God of Abraham. And so she just defines God by what he does, how he interacts with her. He sees me. And because he sees me, I'm going to give him this name, the God who sees when we feel invisible, there is nothing like being told, I see you. I can see you right where you are. 
No matter how much we want to flee from God's presence, the psalmist in 139 tells us, God is there. We cannot run away from him. Adam and Eve tried to do it out of shame, but God found them hiding in the garden. And just like here with Hagar, running away from a situation because she didn't feel like she had any hope, hiding in the wilderness, God sees her, finds her, and ministers to her. She goes on to even name the very well where the angel of the Lord approaches her as Be'er Lahai Roi, which is something like the well of the God who sees. She recognized that God was present in this angel of the Lord who helped her. And when she felt invisible, she was told, I see you. God sees you. God sees us. God sees you even when no one else does, including his people. Abraham is one of the biggest, most important heroes of Scripture, but in this story, he fails God, he fails his wife, and he even fails the invisible maidservant, Hagar. Sarah and Abraham both see Hagar as a thing to be used, but evidently not as a human being. When even the people of God fail, bring it in our day, when even the church fails to give you what you need, there is a God who sees you. There is a God who hears you. Even when his people fail, he will not. God is with you. God is for you. God sees you. God hears your pain even when you keep it to yourself. Ishmael again means God will hear or the God who hears Hagar had given up hope on not only Abram and Sarah, but also maybe life altogether as she was escaping into the wilderness. But God heard her pain. She didn't call out for him. He heard her pain and came to her in her moment of need. That's how the story goes. Right where we read, where we picked up, God went to her to find her. The angel of the Lord came to Hagar as she was wandering in the wilderness to save her in the midst of her pain. She didn't even know to cry out and God heard her. God gives the wanderer purpose. Hagar was running away, and God gave her something to run towards. As she was trying to escape, God reminded her and gave her a purpose. Not only are you seen, you are valuable. You are a part of the plan. When you feel invisible, let this be a reminder to you that not only are you not invisible, not only are you seen, but you are valuable to God. You are a part of his plan. Hagar was not invisible to God. Hagar was not uh, unheard by God. He saw her and he heard her and he had a purpose for her. Not to be used like some vessel, but instead to be a part of God's plan to tell the large story, the big story of the redemption of humanity that would eventually give way to Jesus, that would eventually give way to the coming of Jesus again. All of this is part of this big story that we are in the middle of and still awaiting to see its fulfillment. So church, Christian, God sees you today. Perhaps that's all you need to hear. Maybe you're in a situation or a season of life where you feel unseen, or you feel unheard, or you feel like there are parts of your life that you can't share with others. Maybe you're visible to a degree, but only with certain things, maybe there's part of your life, part of your story that you keep over here hidden and unseen because it's just too painful and too difficult and you don't think that anybody knows, anybody sees, or anybody cares and hears. I'm here to tell you today that God sees and God hears. And not only does he see and he hear, but he values you and he has a purpose for you. When we read the story of Hagar, when we read the story of this unknown Egyptian servant, 
who was only used like a piece of meat by the people of God in order to accomplish what God already had a plan for that they weren't patient enough to wait on. When we see this woman's story told, let it remind you that God cares for all people, no matter how small. God cares for all people, no matter which tribe they belong to. Hagar wasn't part of this chosen people. She wasn't part of Abraham's descent. She wasn't a blood relative of Abraham. Yet in this story, God treats her like family, just like he does with all the people on the earth today, including you. And so when you feel like it's time to run away, when you feel like it's time to run back home, to run somewhere else where somebody else knows your name, and you realize that even there they don't know your name, even there they don't remember you like you thought that they would, when home no longer feels like home, you know that old saying, you can never go home again? You never realize that until you really move away from home, and you feel like you don't have a place to belong, and you're just wondering who will see you, who will hear you. Let me just tell you today that God sees you, and God hears you. So run to him. In your moment of need. He will never disappoint. He will never let you down. He has a purpose and a plan for you. That is for your good. And will work out according to your good. For those of you who love him and are called according to his purpose. God has a plan for you. He sees that plan today. And he sees you. This morning during our time of invitation. If there is anyone here who does not know this God who sees as Lord and Savior, I would love to tell you what that could look like in your life. I would love to start just by affirming that he sees you and loves you just the way you are. He wants to work in you to bring you closer to him, but he loves you with everything that he has so much so that even in wherever you're at, no matter how sinful you are in this moment, he would still choose to send his son to die for you. That's how much he sees you and loves you and hears you. If you want to know more about this, God, I'll be down here to talk during our time of invitation. I'll also hang around after the service if you would like to talk then with a little more privacy. And for those of you who do know and follow Jesus as Savior, just because you know Jesus as Savior doesn't mean that you don't at times also feel invisible or unheard. I'm here to tell you that it's time to to go back to your first love, uh, to remember the one who sees you and hears you, to give thanks to him, to lean on him in your moment of need. And if you want to pray about this or anything else, you're looking for a church to call home, whatever it is that God is moving in you, I would love to talk to you about that in this time. The altar will be open where you can pray there. You can certainly pray right where you're at. But let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Will and Lynn are going to lead us in a song of invitation. And after they do so, you move in whatever way God is calling.